Yeah, I don't think we've necessarily finished yet. <laughs> That's a little bit. Um, hmm. I just kind of feel the Lord still wants to do some things. So um, I'll start, but I don't promise I'll finish. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where we get to. Uh, I just wanted to look a little bit this morning. Um, I've done this session at the worship conference and lots of other things, but I just wanted to do it again here in this uh, in this context together. Uh, just lessons from the life of David, um, just to try and help us learn how to live life well on this journey of seeking to establish God's kingdom. I think what uh, John just brought there about David, I set the Lord always before me, that was one of the lessons you can learn from the life of David. That one isn't in my notes, but that's a good one. uh, You know, there's something about David we could look at and think, oh, he, his personal culture, to put it like that, was shaped in certain ways. And that helped him all the way through from, you know, shepherd boy to king. Uh, And I think that for most of us, uh, the internal issues are more important than the external issues. If we learn how to lead ourselves well, learn how to manage the internal battles and win the internal battles, the things that go on in here uh, and in here, uh, then actually the external stuff usually will sort itself out smoothly enough. Most of the times when leaders or churches get into problems um, and, I don't know, just kind of what was potential and promise and uh, exciting trajectory, when that gets, uh, when it fails to perhaps become all it could be or it gets curtailed in some way, mostly that comes down to internal issues. Uh, would be my observation over the years. You know, that it's, it's what goes on in here and here that limits what we do out there. <laughs> um, so, you know, we can pray quite rightly and long quite rightly, Lord, give us more people, more resources, more leaders, more everything. We all, and that is absolutely true. But we need people who have got a little bit of the right stuff in here and in here. <laughs> Not who can necessarily do stuff. You know, doing stuff you can learn, but you learn that once you've kind of got your internal life um, working out. So I think there's some things we can learn from David. Um, and these, there's not a particular passage I want to refer to, just a few different passages really. In um, 1 Samuel, th- the first one is David was firstly God's friend. Before he was anything else, David was firstly God's friend. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, uh, there's this statement about Saul. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. The Lord was looking primarily not for someone who would just do but for someone who would be a man after his own heart. And there's, there's something about friendship with God that really just must drive everything we are. Um, just this morning, I just 
you know, just read a little, uh, I'm just going through the Psalms at the moment, I just got to this bit in Psalm 118, it just simply says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear what man can do to me, the Lord is on my side as my helper. So what a, what a tender, what a tender God, he is my helper. Um, there's just like never a moment when he's not um, actively uh, thinking, now how can I help him? <laughs> it's just, it's not like when I cry, Lord help me, he says, oh, all right. You know, it's not like there's a, oh, you again, you know, um, oh, God, haven't you learned? No, he's, he's pursuing and looking uh, and, and following our every every moment of every day, every situation we face, every whenever we feel, as I often feel, um, Lord, I, I'm not uh, all I should be to do this. I can't pray the way I wish I could pray. I can't serve the way I can serve. I haven't got the skills the way I wish I... All of those things, you often process yourself through your own filter, don't you? And you think, you know, recognize what you're not. But actually, I then think to myself, well, you know, whatever I'm not is a complete irrelevance. (laughs) It's a complete irrelevance for whatever I am not, because the Lord is my helper. I don't need to be sufficient. (laughs) If I didn't need any help, he's got no opportunity to be my helper. I'm giving him the opportunity to demonstrate his character. The Lord is my helper. It's great. And that's a friendship word. Isn't it? He's not, you know, my contractual obligation is with the God of heaven and he has to step in whenever there's a malfunction in my practice. No, that's, that's what, you, yeah, you ring up, if your drain gets blocked, you ring your plumber, you know, drain's blocked, all right, I'll be around. That's not a helper, that's a contract. The Lord hasn't got a contract with us or on us. You know, he, he's our helper. He is our helper. So, you know, I don't need to fret, you don't need to fret about being fruitful or about knowing what to do, because the Lord's your helper. The amazing thing I'm finding as we're journeying as, uh, in this early, these early years of um, uh, being a, a family of churches and this sort of transition, the thing I'm learning is this, God just sorts it out. <laughs> he does. He just sorts it out. You kind of think, well, how do we do this? Where do we go? What do we do about that? And the Lord just sorts it out. I mean, we can't lose. We cannot lose. I mean, is that not good news? The Lord's our helper. But he, it, uh, help, he's our friend. He's thinking, right, come on, guys, I'll help you. I'll help you. I know you don't know what to do. I'll help you. I'll show you. I'll speak to you. No, don't do that. Go here. The Lord, there's a proactive... And David was firstly God's friend. He, that's, that's, he lived his life. Now, I'm, I'm a friend of God, as the song says. You know, there's just something very beautiful about that. Do remind yourself every day, the Lord is my friend. He's my friend. He, it, that's worth more than any money. To be able to think when you wake up in the morning or when you put your head on the pillow at night, the Lord is my helper. He's my friend. He will help me through this. He'll sort it out. He'll help me to be fruitful. He's got my back. He's got my back. Jesus in John 15, 15 to 16 says to his disciples, I don't call you, I no longer do I call you servants. 
for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. See, so there's just a definition there. We are not, when we're praying and when we're trying to, you know, touch mainland Europe and all the other things that God's put on our heart, we're not sort of praying saying, Lord, we really just just unveil the mystery of heaven. Uh, uh, would you draw back the curtains? We can see your plans. That's not actually the best way of praying because that's assuming that there's a mysterious thing that we don't know and we need God to blow away the fog of his purposes that we can, oh, I can see it now. That's precisely the opposite of what Jesus said. He says, I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. We do know what our master's doing because he's called us friends. He said, I've called you friends. And the reason you're defined as friends is that all I've heard from my father, I've told you. There are no secrets in heaven from us, apart from things like when Jesus is coming back. And even he doesn't know that. I don't know how that works, but that's what he's told us. Apart from that, there is no shrouding of... Oh, the unseen purposes of God, aren't they mysterious? No, not according to Jesus, they're not. I've made it noted. We are on the inner circle. Do you remember that at school when you had friends and you wanted to be on the inner, the, the in crowd? And whether you were in that gang or that gang, were, were you in, in that group? Well, Jesus says you're in the inner circle. You know, there isn't, there isn't, an, there isn't an inner inner circle. We are the inner circle. We, you cannot get any closer to God's presence than we are now. It's not possible to be closer to God than we are now. Do you just get that? It's not like, you think, oh, well, if I just pray more, if God's presence comes more, then we'll be closer. No, we are closer. Sometimes we become more aware of how close we are. But awareness and reality are not the same thing. You can become aware of something that's real, but we're not becoming aware of something that wasn't the case, if you see what I mean. We are the inner circle. We are in the family business. It's our business. We've been brought onto the executive board. It's like father and son, and now he's got loads of other sons and daughters as well. And we've all got a stake in the company. We're all around the board table. We're not on the outside waiting for decision to be handed. We are his friends. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. So even if you think, well, all right, now I'm in. I suppose I don't know how I got here, but I got here. Praise God. I know the Lord. I don't, you know, um, somehow I kind of found the Lord and he's now sort of taken me on reluctantly. Uh, you know, think, oh, all right, you can come as well. You know, no, <laughs> you didn't choose me. I chose you. So his friendship with us, please get this, his friendship with you was initiated by his desire for it. He, he wanted your friendship. I just can't get my head around that, to be perfectly honest. I keep saying it to myself, and I think, no, still don't get it. No, it's really, it doesn't matter what language I say it in, or how, which way around I put it, the bizarre the bizarre reality that the God of heaven should look around the universe, look at me and think, oh yeah, I'd, I'd really like your friendship. <laughs> Isn't that completely ridiculous? It just makes no sense whatsoever. But I didn't choose him, he chose me. And not only did he choose me, he appointed me and you that we would go and bear fruit and the fruit should last. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Why? Because it's the family business. We're in the family business. 
And we're not kind of praying, saying, oh God, move in Europe, move in mainland Europe, as if somehow he'd not thought of it. (laughs) Oh yes. Thank you for reminding me. I'll put it on my list. No, we're, we're, what we are doing when we're praying is friend to friend, we are agreeing with Jesus, Lord, we feel your heart for this as well. We know your heart is this. We're in this together, Lord. Let's move. Would you move? Would you move? It's, it's just the way we've got to think about things. And if there's any kind of thing I'm trying to learn more and more is as responsibilities grow, pressures grow, opportunities grow, difficulties grow, there's 101 things happening all of the time in every place and it's all too much for my poor little brain. And I'm sure it is for yours as well. I just come back to this. You're my friend. That'll do. Let's sort it out together. That really is the secret to life. Finish, full stop, underline. You're God's friend, he's your friend, let's do some stuff. When we lose that is when we get into trouble, I think. Do you agree? It's just, it's quite simple. And David, all through his life, whatever else David did, he knew he was God's friend. When you read the Psalms that David wrote, they are full of intimacy and truth. He didn't just know about God, he knew God. And his Psalms were really just an expression of his friendship. They were small glimpses into his heart. second point is that, uh, and this is linked to David's psalms really, is David sang or worshipped before an audience of one. That was all he was interested in, um, first and foremost. And that was fashioned in his life through hours of lonely, lonely boredom on the mountainside, looking after some scraggy old sheep. And all he had was a harp uh, to amuse himself. He didn't have a Game Boy or an Xbox or, anything, or an iPhone. He just had a harp. And he had um, a sling and some stones for when the wolves and the bears and the lions came. That was his equipment, probably a bit of food. So what are you going to do on a mountain with a load of sheep? You know, you talk to them chase them, I don't know, look after them. I don't know, you get bored after a while, don't you? They're not going to interact back, are they? They're just like nothing. So, you think, well, what do you do? So, David just learned to worship in the day-to-day of life. He just learned to sing to God. He, he had an audience of one. And if you think about it this way, I wonder if he ever knew any of his psalms would be globally known. I don't think he did. I think he just wrote these for him and God. There was, no, there was no thinking, yeah, I'll write something that's one day going to be part of the Bible. He just wrote Psalms for an audience of one. What about you and me? What, what, what do we do what we do for? Who are we doing it for? This kind of um, hammering out of our relationship with God in, in the secret place is really important. Paul, when he was converted, disappeared into the Arabian desert for three years. We've got no idea what happened or what, what was going on. He was isolated in solitude. He was kind of hammering out perhaps his doctrine, his gospel, as he talked about it later. He reflected later on, I knew a man 14 years ago caught up into the heavens. He's talking about himself in all probability. And he's saying, experiences I had, I don't know if I was in the body, out the body, but there were things I saw I can't even repeat. 
He had intimate, intimate interaction with God in isolation long before he had any idea really of how it was all going to outwork. So his, his, God fashions things in us in secret places, in solitude, in isolation, in, in, when it's just an audience of one. That's where, that's where it all gets sorted out. Um, it was a lifestyle for David just to be with the Lord. And I just want to encourage us, don't ever let God's dealings with you in, in the private place, don't ever lose those, don't forsake those. That's one of the reasons I, I journal every day. Um, Journaling isn't something for everyone. It's not you know, necessarily, uh, it's not a biblical thing. I just find it helpful. I just try to write down the journey I'm on and what I recognize God saying or doing in my life, and, isn't it? Because if we kind of lose that, then we just get caught up in activity. And that's, that's never going to be an engine to keep us, to keep going. Um, next thing. Is uh, this is sort of similar to the first one already, but it's slightly different. David was a person that God loved, and it's ever so important that we know we are loved by God. It's slightly more than just friendship. It's, there's a love, there's a love that God has for us, and it's okay to say God does have favourites. You know, He does. <laughs> he can actually do that because He's God. He does have favourites. There's particular ones of his children that attract his heart in certain ways because they are as they are. They're unique. And um, there's something about you that will uniquely attract God's affection. There's something about you, the way he's made you, that he loves. He's drawn to it. Uh, you're not the same as anyone else. You're unique. And there's a uniqueness that God, God loves. So David... Knew all those things. Um, and he knew that friendship with God was the primary reason for his fruitfulness. So the next thing is that uh, we can learn from David is that he served however he could, appropriate to the, to the context. Um, in 1 Samuel 17, uh, 15 to 17, before the David and Goliath incident, David's job was to go backwards and forwards uh, from the front line to home, bringing, actually bringing cheese sandwiches to his brothers. That was his job. He was bearer of the cheese, um, clearly a Dutch man. Uh, he probably had rolled the gouda down the, down, down the street or whatever, but he, he was bearer of the cheese. And he just went backwards and forwards every day. His brothers were in the important place, they were ready to fight. David was too seen as too young, a little bit of a novice. He could just go backwards and forwards, serving, you know, usefully, because they needed food. But it was a small task. It was a hidden task. It was a small day of servanthood. Um, but let me make this point, particularly for those of you who are a bit younger here, and you perhaps feel a call of God on your life, and you think... Um, when am I going to be discovered? Uh, 
And at the moment, your job is just taking the cheese sandwiches backwards and forwards to the important people. And you think, when am I really going to be discovered? I know how to sort this out. These people don't know what they're doing. I know what I, I... And you may be right. You may be right. They may not know what they're doing. The brothers didn't know what they were doing. They didn't, couldn't do anything. They were scared stiff. It's not like they did really have the anointing. They didn't, didn't know what they were doing. So David did, but he didn't have the opportunity. That's a difficult situation. <laughs> You've got... Uh, yeah, anyway. So he's going backwards and forwards. And you might think, yeah, well, look, I'm, I, my job is just photocopying. I'm not called to photocopy. I'm called to take the world. And there may be a calling on you to plant churches all over the world. Who knows what the calling of the Lord is. But you might feel a destiny within you. What's really important to notice with David is this. Destiny came out of the context of obedience. That's, that's, he was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. So that when the moment of destiny came, he was where God needed him to be for that to happen. He wouldn't have been if he'd have said, I can't work in these conditions. I'm a man of calling. I'm not going to take any more cheese sandwiches. I've been doing it for three years. Find someone else to do it. I've got, I've I've been trained. You know, there's more in me than cheese. If he'd have done that and he'd have said, you know what, I'm not going to do it. You go and get your own sandwiches today. If he'd have said that, he would have missed the moment when Goliath came forward and suddenly, you know, destiny awaits. So the day of small things, the day of obedience, the day of hiddenness is essential to get you to the day of destiny. You can't bypass it. You can't bypass it. And apparently, most people, now this will depress you if you're young, but we'll ha- we'll, we'll, I'll sort that out later. Most people who had a calling from God in Scripture and anecdotally, I would say many um, senior men and women reflect on their life in church history, would say that from the time of their sense of calling to the time when they really sensed they were now beginning to fulfill what God had called them to do, the gap in between was 25 to 30 years. That's depressed you, isn't it, if you're sort of in your, in your 30s? Dear Lord, no. That doesn't mean you're useless leading up until that. It just means there is there, life is a journey. And it's not like, well, when I, when I arrive, then I'll be useful. No, be useful now. And there'll come a moment when you come into bloom in, what, in the final culmination of what God has been seeding in your life. You can see it in the natural world around you. When you put a seed in the ground, it does not, it's not yet fully formed. But the genuine life is still there. And it's... Being, it just is nurtured in God's garden. It's nurtured through to bearing fruit. And that is a process. You don't put a seed in and look at it overnight. and it, you know, it just, It's just nothing happens, apparently. But stuff is going on. And David just served. So whether you're doing the PA or the coffee or the chairs or the, you know, and you might be here and we're praying about Europe and you think, well, you know, I'm just doing Sunday school class or something and you're kind of a leader in training and you think, well, I don't really feel I've quite yet found my gear. No, that's right, just serve. Just serve. I remember Sue and I, when we first sort of started to 
get involved in, in, in serving God, just sensing call. I mean, we've done just about everything in church life, most of it very badly. But it, but it, it just needed doing. It just needed doing. And you think, well, that actually is just, the, 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 that's how you, God's looking for obedience and faithfulness. He's not looking for, you know, so, I mean, we used to lead a youth group for a while. Man, I'm just the worst youth leader in the world because they just don't do anything you tell them. Hey, well, just do you want to be here or don't you? It's just, just crazy, just wild. But someone had to do it. So I did it. You know, it was quite good fun, actually. But it was, it, it was, I don't think there's any spiritual benefit whatsoever to anybody in, in the thing. But it just had to be done. It just had to be done. And he, David just served in, in the context. And um, then we, you know, we read 1 Samuel 18, 14. David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. Yeah, you know, all his under the, the Lord was with him. That's, obedience is massive. It's just massive. I kind of think if everybody in church life did including me, did everything God told us to do every time he told us, we wouldn't be praying about anything hardly. <laughs> Would we? It would all be sorted. Because obedience is massive. It's not like God's run out of ideas. He's run out of people who'll do it. And obedience often just kind of the thing that sorts out the men from the boys, if I can put it that way. Just will, God, will you do what God's asked you to do? Next, David had to learn how to fight on the small scale first. Um, now, this is a similar thing to obedience, but it, it, it's about scale. Um, so when David did come to the front line, and Goliath's making his threats... <coughs> And David says, well, I can sort him out. And everyone says at 1 Samuel 17:33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're, you're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. In verse 37, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. <laughs> 1 Samuel 17:34. David said to Saul your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock he would go and deliver it and rescue it and um, then we read in 1 Samuel 19:8 after Goliath it says there was war again David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him you see the, the progression David's used to fighting lions and bears on his own in a small scale, and then suddenly he's propelled into Goliath's territory and then ends up over the whole nation. He wouldn't have been king over the nation if he hadn't been on his own learning how to, to get rid of the lion and the bear. And, you know, you might be leading a small church plant at the moment, but you've got a vision for something that would touch a whole city or multiple church plants. You might have a vision and a sense of calling for hundreds, if not thousands of people to be influenced by what God's called you to do. And your situation might be quite small, quite embryonic, 
or even middle-sized. Perhaps you've learnt to fight a few bears, but you think, oh, there's more in me than this. What you've learnt in the small day, the principles are exactly the same in the large day. The bear just is bigger. Right? But at the end of the day, it's just a bear, it's just a lion, and it's killed in exactly the same way. You know, the same way... Same way the lion was got rid of is the same way Goliath was got rid of. It's just David just knew how to fight. He knew how to fight God's way. We need to learn how to fight God's way. And that means, you know, we don't go around throwing stones at people, usually. Uh, but what we need to do, I find most of the spiritual warfare we deal with in church life is this. There'll be kind of a eruption of massive pastoral problems you think dear lord is the whole thing falling to pieces or the money will go down or an initiative will be launched and it's just not going well or there's unexplained sicknesses breaking out in the leadership team or there's all manner of stuff and you think this is really difficult i'm getting discouraged i'm feeling oh is, are we breaking through and you then start to feel the sort of uh, the sapping of your spiritual energy thinking, I don't know if we can make this, I don't know if this is going to work. That, folks, is a lion. And you have to deal with it the way David dealt with it. You, you, you fire scripture at it instead of stones, and you say, the Lord is my helper. I am about a good work. I'm not coming down. The Lord will win through. You just have to fight what's going on in here. But bears don't come at you in church to maul you. They come at you in here. And they, they'll get you if you don't know how to fight them. And it's not like you think, oh, oh, they're gone away now. They won't come back. Oh, yes, they're just waiting. They've gone to get some other ones. As you said yesterday, there's a <laughs> they, they, you know, they're, they're bigger, ugly critters. And they, they don't stop. The devil doesn't play fair. It's not like you say, no, no, excuse me, we're British, some of us, and there are rules. There are rules. Cricket, have you never heard of Cricket. The enemy, he's just not interested at all. He does not play fair. He doesn't keep rules. He's just, he's had eternity to think about um, how he's going to take people out. He's a master chess player. So you've got to be even better than him. Checkmate, mate. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to learn to fight him at his own game. You, You really have to learn. David learned, well, it's just a lion. I know how to get rid of those. It's just an eight-foot-tall Philistine standing before me. No difference. Same principle. Same principle. If he didn't learn there, he wouldn't be able to survive there. If we are serious about mainland Europe and global planting, if we can't fight there, we won't make it there. That's really the reality. It's not because the Lord isn't with us. He is with us. It's because if we don't know how to fight, the weapons are not are not um, physical; they're spiritual. I, I love that uh, um, quote by James Fraser, who went to China to the Lisu people, and he, I, I used to have this up above my desk, um, and it says this: uh, "All discouragement is of the devil, and must be resisted." just like sin. To give way to one is just as bad and weakens us as much as to give way to the other. Get that? Say it again. All discouragement 
all discouragement is of the devil and is to be resisted, just like sin. To give way to one, in other words, to give way to discouragement or to give way to sin, is just as bad and weakens us as much as to give way to the other. And this was a man who lived in isolation, going around evangelizing the Lisu tribe, for years saw hardly anything, eventually saw a few converts, and then they backslid. He attempted to plant churches. He even was walking up a mountain one day, looked over the side and thought, why don't I just throw myself off? I mean, this was not a happy man at times. If you've ever read Mountain Rain, the book, um, that's his um, biography by his Alien Crossman, and just extraordinary accounts of spiritual warfare uh, and how he persevered, he persevered, he learned to fight, he learned to fight, and then revival, revival, it came. 10, 20 years later, I don't know how long it was. He saw it, he saw it. And the only reason he saw it is because he learned how to fight discouragement. He learned how to fight that. And we are not dealing with massive practical problems that are hindering us. The main issues we will face are when the devil comes at us and he will try to discourage us in any way he can. Because if he weakens us, makes us discouraged, or gets us to sin, he knows we're out of the picture. And we think, oh, we mustn't sin. Listen, we mustn't get discouraged. Because either will weaken us. It's not like, oh, well, sin is worse than discouragement. Not when it comes to effectiveness, it isn't. Both will take you out. And we are prone to both and that's why when you read David's Psalms, you'll often read David lamenting and weeping and pouring out his uh, godly frustration. Why? Because he's processing discouragement. You've got to process it. Now, if you think, well, I'm discouraged, but I will just make positive statements and quote positive scriptures and uh, I will just be, uh, you know, I will sort of do some sort of psychological, positive thinking, confession of faith, you know. That, now, that's not how you deal with discouragement. Discouragement, you process it with the Lord. So if you're feeling sad, you cry. It's normal. <laughs> the Bible's full of people crying before they're laughing. If you think, well, no, I must just laugh. I must just... I, well, we're happy people. Well, I, to be, I've never found anybody in the Bible who always laughed, apart from Legion, and he needed some help. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was something not quite right about his balance of emotions. Right. So, so it, it's okay. It's okay to process the fact that you feel like giving up. David often felt like giving up. The cords of death have entangled me. Not a good day. Not a good day. You know, I, I, I am sinking into the mire and mud. I cannot breathe. I, the, the, the floods are overwhelmed. This is, you don't want to have a pastoral meeting with him just, just at that moment. Yeah, he's, he's really not, not happy. But every time in the Psalms where he gets into one of his morose sort of lamentations, he always comes out of it by saying, but I will trust in the Lord. As John was saying, um, what was the thing you said, uh, the Lord, oh, what was it? Um, the thing you said about David. That's it, got it, that's the one. Uh, I've set the Lord always before me. That's the answer, you see. He processed it. He said, nevertheless, even though I feel like this, 
I set the Lord before me. Now you deal with discouragement by doing that, not by going la, 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 it doesn't hurt. No, it does hurt, right? Yeah. Positive confession. No, it hurts. It's not nice. Sometimes, that's why we need one another. That is why we need one another, because we are Jesus' ambassadors to each other as well as his ambassadors to the world. And sometimes you just need another friend of God to come alongside and help you with your perspective and help you with encouragement, just get you back. That's why we need one another. We can't, this is not an individual sport. This is a team game. It's a team game. And if we don't play as a team, we won't win. So you've got to learn how to fight. And then the last thing was David was anointed. Now, how do you get anointing? No idea. No idea. No idea. But you've either got it or you haven't. I mean, I'm just being blunt. You've either got it or you haven't. And anointing is for different things. And if you've been anointed for this, you can do it. And it'll work. If you haven't, don't bother. (laughs) Well, that's not very equal opportunities. Hasn't God read the European Court of Human Rights? You know, we're all equal. No, we're not. The Lord can raise one up and put another down. Pharaoh, Moses, up to the Lord. One piece of pottery for this purpose, one for another. Well, that's not fair. Who said God had to be fair? Well, it's just not, it's not European. God is not European. It's really not. Now you say, well, hang on a minute, that's a bit strong. We're all anointed. Yes, but not for all the same things. But our role is to fight. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit appoints each where, where he, where he um, sees fit. We are a body. The hand can't say to the ear, I don't need you, or the foot. To, but you can't say, the hand can't say, well, I want to be an ear. Well, you're not. All right, you can do that, but you're going to look a little odd. People will look at you and think, well, you might be happy, but people are not supposed to look like that. There's something not quite right about that function. So you and I have to find out where do we fit in the body, where is the anointing and the grace gift. And one of the ways you find it is, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God gives you grace to be what he's called you to be. He'll give you grace. It doesn't mean it won't ever be challenging, but it won't ever be crushing. There's a difference between the weight of pushing through a spiritual battle and the weight of being a square peg in a round hole. Sadly, I think some of the situations where we have the greatest problems are where you've got someone functioning or playing out of position. And, and you, they're not happy, nobody around them's happy, you're not happy, and the whole thing's dysfunctional. And all it needs is someone to say, look, let's together find where's the best fit for your grace gift. It's not a hierarchy and you think, well, if I don't do that, I've failed. We're all equally valued, but we've all got different functions. 
just because I'm standing here now doesn't mean I'm more important than anybody at all. In actual fact, Paul even said, us apostles are at the end of the line, considered as the scum of the earth. I mean, that's a great advert, isn't it? But he's, <laughs> he's saying, look, there's no great shakes about being an apostle. You're more likely to get in more trouble, be, have more friendships end, have more people dis, disappointed with you, and more enemies and more difficulties with the devil than anybody else. That's not something I would sign up for. But you haven't got any choice if the anointing is on you to do whatever God's called you to do. You're either obedient or you're not. And then you suddenly find, you know, the grace of God gives you grace to do what he's called you to do. Surprising, that, isn't it? It gives you grace so that the yoke, my yoke on you, is easy and light. And there's a, yeah, I can do this. How can I do it? It's the strength of the Lord. And that's how it should be for all of us. So you might be dealing with a very complicated church situation at the moment. If the grace and calling of God is on you and everybody can see and you can see and it all feels good to the Holy Spirit and to us that you're in the right place at the right time, your anointing will make it work. It will. Your anointing will make it work. You don't even have to be clever. You just have to be obedient. Your anointing will make it work. The number of times I think, I don't know what to do next, and then the Lord shows me, and I think, ah, and it makes me look really clever. Because, uh, oh, how did he know to do that? Don't tell him. Just, I, <laughs> just pretend I know what I'm doing. Because I've found that whenever you get to the next bit, the Lord puts the next bit in front of you. If you're doing what he's asking. He'll just do, it just does that. It's like the Indiana Jones film where you have to go like that. Over, oh, you think, no, no, there's a path there. There's a path there. It won't, it won't give in. There is a path there for us to walk. And if we're walking in the anointing that God's got for us, stuff happens. Stuff happens. So, yeah, let's stand together and let's, uh, let's kind of see what the Lord might want to might do. There's some stuff we need to really get hold of, isn't there? Um, now, for some of you, I think your, uh, your grace gifts may well come and serve the rest of us now. Right? I've done my bit. Um, I don't know what to do next, which I'm quite happy with, because I think some of you will. Some of you will, and that's how a body functions. So um, perhaps the band might like to come back as well, and it may be useful just to have some some music. Uh, So I think the first thing is just to quickly just deal with this thing of Discouragement. I just uh, just feel to just pick up on that a little bit, um, and I feel like for some of you, just little lights went on, and you thought, "Goodness, I thought there was something wrong with me. Why I've been feeling like this for so long, and I can't seem to break it off." And actually, it's almost like it, you felt a lightness in your spirit because you thought to yourself, "Actually, this isn't because I'm doing anything wrong. It's because I'm doing something right." <laughs> And it's almost like you, uh, pressure came off you and you thought, no, this is, this is normal. This is spiritual warfare and the Lord's trying to help me and I'm thinking he's angry with me. No, he's not angry with you. He's saying, Jesus is saying, oh, I know what that's like. Jesus had 40 days in the wilderness being tested and tempted in every possible conceivable way. I think he knew how to battle discouragement. 
So it's about him saying, come on, I'm, a, I'm your friend. Let me help you through this. This is, you're not disqualified. You're, uh, this is normal, normal battle. So uh, <clears throat> if you just kind of feel that you have been battling discouragement um, in, in the, you know, not realizing what it is, um, then, then just, uh, just lift your hands where you are and just, just ask the Lord just to come and really lift that from you so that you're able to strengthen yourself in the Lord like, uh, like David did, you know, to, to be able to fight back and, and uh, you know, just use the, the stone and the sling to, to kind of fight back. So just, just keep your hands lifted and those around who haven't got your hands up just just look at people around you and just go and just begin to pray for people let's minister to one another just keep your hands up and the rest of us just move around and just just begin to pray for folk who've been battling discouragement you could probably do with a few more people just milling around if not everybody gets to you at the moment then will eventually.